Bible, and turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 51 through 56. On this Palm Sunday, we're looking at Jesus moving toward the cross. That's really what his entire life was about. It was about moving to a certain point. It was about giving his life as a ransom for sinful humanity. You know, Jesus, I think we'd all agree that Jesus is the most recognizable, the most known leader in the history of humanity. Uh, many have tried to define him. Many have tried to define his life and his ministry. They've tried to, to describe him. And really, Jesus speaks for himself. Uh, some have described him as a great teacher, a great prophet, a moral humanitarian, a miracle worker. But that's not how Jesus described himself, what he understood of his life and of his ministry. Now, Jesus encompassed all those things. He was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. He was a moral humanitarian that stood up for humanity and the, and the dignity of life. He was a great, wonderful man. He was a miracle worker. But that's not what defined him. You see, what defined Jesus was the cross. What defined Jesus was what he was moving toward in his life and ministry. I love what Zacchaeus was told by Jesus there in his home when he came to a point in his life where he understood his sin, understood his need for Jesus, and confessed his sin, turned to Jesus in faith and repentance. And Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Today on Psalm Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus and we celebrate the purpose for his coming. Why did he come, though? What was it all about? What was his life about? What we discover in the Bible is that Jesus came into the world to experience the cross. He did not come, think about this, Jesus did not come to simply lead a movement. He did not come to espouse great teachings. He did not come to eradicate sickness and physical disabilities as important as those may be. He did not come to eliminate poverty and usher in an age of prosperity. He did not come to overthrow tyrannical governments and establish world peace. No, Jesus instead came to experience the pain and the suffering of the cross. Jesus came to shed His blood. Jesus came to give His life as a substitute for sinners. Jesus came, as Hebrews 7.27 reminds us, that he came once and for all to offer himself as the sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God the Father against sin. Jesus came to be the mediator of a new covenant that gives eternal and, and, and eternal inheritance. Jesus came to fulfill all the messianic prophecies of the Bible, beginning there in Genesis 3.15, where it talks about how there's going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, even as he bruises his heel. And Satan there, as Jesus hung on the cross, really believed that he had won the victory, really believed that he had defeated God. But it was Jesus' sacrificial death there on the cross that defeated Satan. You see, Jesus came to experience the cross. That's why he came. He came to experience the cross. Everything in his life was moving him toward the cross. There's no one like Jesus. And we see this reality right before us in the passage that we're looking at today. If you've got your place there in Luke chapter 9, let's begin reading in verse 51. Luke says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that's Jesus, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. They went on to another village. Interesting passage of Scripture here. Verse 51 begins a new section in Luke's gospel. Scholars often refer to this section as the travel section. It's going to continue all the way through chapter 19, verse 28, which is the beginning of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. We refer to that that story there as the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's going to lead him up to the days right before his crucifixion. Chapter 9 is an interesting chapter in and of itself. Several major moments in the life and the ministry of Jesus are contained right here in this chapter. For example, the 12 disciples are sent out by Jesus. They're giving power to cast out demons, to heal the sick. They're proclaiming the gospel. Then Jesus feeds the 5,000. This incredible miracle caused many to wonder about Jesus' identity. And so the crowd began to see Jesus as this prophet of old raised up. Jesus asked a question to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter made that great confession of of faith. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then right there on the heels of that moment, that, 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 that scene there with Jesus, Peter, James, and John got to experience the transfiguration of Christ up on the mountaintop. They got to witness Moses and Elijah standing there talking and conversating with the Lord Jesus. It was a miraculous moment for them. The next day... Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy, which was followed by the disciples' first debate over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's interesting, in the midst of all that, they're debating which one of them is going to set on his right and on his left. Through all of these events, all of these scenarios, Jesus is consistently pointing to the fact that his death is coming points to the fact of his impending death. Verse 51 begins this rather large section of Luke's gospel, and it's meant for us to focus our attention on the purpose of Jesus' life and ministry. What was it all about? Luke gives it to us. The Holy Spirit inspires him to give it to us that we might have certainty concerning what we've been taught about the Lord Jesus. This morning, there are four things that I want to point out on this Palm Sunday that I think will help us see and better understand why Jesus is moving toward the cross and and what his thoughts were, what his rationale was, what all this meant. Here's the first thing that I want you to see this morning. Jesus was clearly aware of the impending cross. It never caught him by surprise. It never uh, took him and just kind of messed with his mind at all. No, Jesus always knew what was happening. He was clearly aware of the impending cross. Look over there in verse 51, what Luke says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. When the days drew near. What does that mean? Jesus was aware of the time. Jesus knew what was happening in his life. He was aware of the time and what was about to take place in the days ahead. He knew what was on the horizon. See, everything in his life, everything in his ministry had been building to this moment. 
cross was looming there on the horizon. But it wasn't something that Jesus was shying away from. It wasn't something that Jesus was dreading. He had been talking about it with his disciples. He had been alluding to it. He had been moving in that direction. And so the cross was no surprise for the Lord. It was the purpose for which he came. The days were drawing near, Luke tells us, to do what? To be taken up. The term here refers to ascension. It's why if you're reading the NIV translation, it adds to heaven. It adds that phrase to heaven there in that verse because the the term here is speaking not just of Jesus' crucifixion, but it's alluding to the fact that there's going to be a resurrection and an ascension back to the Father. I love the fact that Lude records Jesus' awareness of this situation, don't you? I love the fact that that Luke is pointing out to us that Jesus was not surprised by this. I also love that the cross was not going to be the end for him. Jesus wasn't just going to be a martyr for sinners. No, Jesus was going to die and pay the penalty for our sins, but he was going to rise from the dead and ascend back to the Father. Disciples were not aware of what was about to take place. They missed all of Jesus' comments, all of the times that Jesus was pointing toward his death, his crucifixion, his burial. They missed those. And we, too, have a tendency to forget what the cross encompasses. We have a tendency to forget the passion of Christ. We lose sight of the price that was paid for our redemption. But the Lord knew the pain. The Lord knew the suffering that was awaiting him in Jerusalem. He also knew the peace. Think about this. He knew the peace and the power that it would provide for you and for me and for everyone who would faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this reason, he endured the cross as well as its shame, which leads us to a second point. Jesus was resolutely committed to the impending cross. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's what it says there in the latter part of verse 51. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Literally means this, the Lord turned his face toward Jerusalem. When you think about that, any time that you're driving down the road, and if you're like me, you tend to look over and you're, you're looking. I'm a hunter, and so I'm always looking to see some sort of wildlife as I'm driving into my neighborhood. I want to see deer or turkey or whatever it may be. And if I'm not careful, the, my steering wheel will go in the direction that my face is looking. Yesterday, I was fishing with one of my girls, and, and I was trying to help her to understand that when she casts her line out, she needs to look in the direction that she's casting. Otherwise... Uh, There were some close calls. I was about to get a treble hook in the side of my face. And so it's important that we turn our face in the direction we desire to head. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He sets his face toward Jerusalem. In other words, he was determined to follow the Father's plan and deliberately initiated all the precipitating events that would lead up to that moment. The events began with his immaculate conception followed by his birth and, and his ministry and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the ascension. In each and every situation, Jesus was resolutely committed to the end. Never wavering, never wondering if he should go forth. No, he was resolutely committed. Think about what he did for us. Think about what he gave up for us during that time when he was here on the earth. He veiled his glory, took on the weakness of human flesh. He was born into this world, restrained his power, and experienced the weakness of human life. Every time I begin to think about this, and I think about the God who literally spoke creation into existence, 
the one who just voiced a word and it came into being, is the one who had to be held by his mother. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. He had to to be doctored when he was sick. The God of creation veiled his glory, restrained his power, and experienced the weakness that is involved in human life. He did all of that for us. He was subjected to the temptation of sin. He faced the ups and the downs of ministry. He suffered the pain of death. He encountered separation from the Father there on the cross, there in the tomb. And he underwent all of that in order to conquer death, hell, and the grave. He did that for us. Why was Jesus, though, so committed to this impending cross looming on the horizon? Why would Jesus continue to be committed to that? I believe it was divine necessity that caused the Lord to resolutely head toward Jerusalem. It was time for his mission. It was time for his purpose to be fulfilled. It was time for the disciples to, to, be, to experience the salvation that he had been talking about, for that to be accomplished in their life. But the disciples never fully understood it. It was only when the Holy Spirit came there on Pentecost, after the ascension of Christ, that they began to understand the death and the resurrection and what it meant for them personally and for those still in their sin. And unfortunately, many Miss the purpose of the cross. And that brings us to a third point that I want us to see this morning. The Samaritans racially rejected Jesus and the impending cross. They rejected Jesus and the cross. Verse 53 tells us, But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now you may ask, who are these Samaritans? Well, I can tell you right now that they are not followers of Franklin Graham. They're not employees of Samaritan's Purse that does so much good work in times like this that we're living. But they're not that, those type of people. The Samaritans were hybrid, half-breed people. They were a racial mix, partly Jew, partly Gentile. When the Assyrians came in and conquered the ten northern tribes, they relocated the the Jews there, and they took them to other nations, to other peoples, and they there built new lives and intermarried with the other peoples. And so when some came back after the exile of the tribe of Judah, they tried to come back to the land, but they were rejected by Ezra, the leadership of Judah, mainly because they were half-breeds. Other reasons, because some of them, many of them, in fact, could not even track their tribal uh, ancestral line. They didn't know their Jewish descent. And so the Samaritans hated the Jews for that rejection, and the Jews hated the Samaritans because they had rejected the purity of the Jewish line. This background gives us some context on the perspective of the Samaritans here and why they rejected Jesus and his impending cross. Luke's retelling of this situation gives us clarity. He states that the reason was because his face was set toward Jerusalem. The Samaritans rejected Jesus because they lacked an understanding of the passion and the necessity of the cross that awaited the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how is that so? I believe that many, if not all of the Samaritans, were aware of Jesus. They knew of Jesus. They'd heard of Jesus. They perhaps had even seen Jesus. We know in John chapter 4 that Jesus spent time in the area of Samaria. He came to a city or a village named Sakaar. He sat there at a well. He interacted with a woman who was a, 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 a woman 
that was had four or five husbands. She was living with a man. She was not a person that most would associate with, but Jesus conversed with her. Jesus uh, interacted with her. Jesus shared the gospel with her, and her life was changed, meaning the city came out to him. So the Samaritans knew this story. They were acquainted with Jesus. He had stayed there many days. But because of their racial prejudice, because of their hatred for the Jews, they rejected Jesus and the cross that awaited him. Thankfully, though, Jesus did not forsake them. We know from Acts chapter 8 that the gospel would soon come to the, to the land of Samaria through Philip the deacon. He would go and preach the gospel. Many would be saved because of that. Today, we too can miss the point of the cross. The gospel is for all. It is for Jew and Gentile alike. It is not a Jewish faith. Think, faith, think about this. The gospel, the message of Christianity, the word of God is not a Jewish thing. It's not a Western thing. It is not an American thing. It is a world-encompassing God thing. One day, I love how Revelation reminds us, one day there's going to be gathered around the throne of God, people from every nation, from every tribe, from every people group, and every language. Jesus moved toward the cross for this very reason. There's a fourth point that I want us to see from this passage. The disciples ethically missed the message of the impending cross. If you look there in verse 54, when the disciples heard or saw or came to know the rejection of the Samaritans, James and John, the sons of thunder as they're called, came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Can you imagine that? Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down? Almost like a, in an Elijah type of moment. Do you want the fire to rain down on these people because they deserve the, 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 the punishment of death for rejecting you? Now, the Bible does teach us that there's going to be a day of judgment. There's going to be a time when judgment reigns from heaven on those who reject Christ, who reject the gospel. Revelation describes in detail what this judgment's going to look like for those who have rejected Jesus. We know that hell has been reserved for Satan, his demons, and for those who are in rebellion against Christ. On one hand, we might applaud James and John and say, thank you for standing up for the glory of God. Thank you for being jealous for the majesty of Christ. Thank you for standing for the glory of Almighty God. But on the other hand, that's not what Jesus does. Luke tells us Jesus rebukes them. You see, this, re this day was not a day for judgment. It was not a day for retribution. This was a day for love. This was a day for grace. This was a day for patience. It was a day to wait upon the Lord and allow his gospel to penetrate sinful hearts. Disciples and Christians in general should love those who have yet to turn from sin and to turn to Christ. They should offer love and grace toward them. As Christ followers, we are called to love. We are called to pray for our enemies. We are called to serve people and to share the gospel with all. But the disciples on this particular day miss the ethical message of the cross that was coming. Today is Palm Sunday. Today's the day that we celebrate Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem in preparation for his impending death there on the cross. Everything in his life was moving toward this moment. He was aware of it, and he was committed to it. 
The Samaritans and the disciples, however, did not understand. Jesus' life and his death did not make sense to them. Any time and every time they, he spoke of it, it, it never really registered in their mind. It didn't understand that, that Jesus had to do this. And today they are still senseless. Many are senseless to those who are in sin. But I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Those who have not yet experienced the grace of God through the gospel message of Jesus don't understand this. To them, as Paul says, it is folly. It is foolishness. See, the word of the cross speaks of a substitutionary atonement. It speaks of one who's going to die on behalf of someone else. It speaks of one bearing the weight of and dying in the place of the many. This good news, this gospel is mighty to save. But it sounds foolish to those who have not tasted its goodness. Dying a substitutionary death for sinful men and women and boys and girls was the sole reason for Jesus moving toward the cross. It was what it was all about. Jesus came for this moment. It was to complete the love of God the Father by providing redemption for sinners. You see, John 3.16 still is true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did Jesus come? He came for the cross. He came to shed blood. He came to redeem sinners. This morning on this Palm Sunday, may our hearts be open and our eyes and ears open to receive, to hear, to understand the word of the cross. It should not be foolishness to us. It should be something that we rejoice in. What is this word coming from the cross? We say it like this every Sunday. In the gospel, in this good news, there is good news. And the good news is that God loves you because he created you. God has a design for your life. God created you to be in relationship with him. God loves you, cares for you, and, and, and wants to be your friend, wants to be the one who helps you. God loves you. The bad news in all of this is that we know that we're sinners. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We see in the Bible how sin came in to be our nature. You see, we sin because we are sinners. And that sin has broken us. It's broken our relationship with God between us. Now there's a chasm between us because holiness can't be with sinfulness. But it's also created more and more brokenness in us personally. We see it in all kinds of ways in our life. There's alcoholism, drug addiction. There, there's, there's this anxieties and fear and broken relationships. You name it, our lives are a broken mess. Why? It's because of sin. But God loves us. And that's why we have this best news. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel declares that God the Son has paid the penalty for our sin and we can be set free as we place our faith in him, turn from our sin, and trust him as Lord and as Savior. The word of the cross says your sin has to be atoned for and covered. This means as a Christian, I can and I should be leaning into the gospel, 
leaning into the message of Christ every single day. This means as a sinner apart from Christ, I can and I should confess my sin, turn from my sin, and experience forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. This means that we, as followers of Jesus, have a message of hope in this hopeless time. We have something to say to those who are discouraged. We have something to say to those who need a word of blessing. The word of blessing is that Jesus loves you. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be in a relationship with him. Jesus wants to grow you, develop you, mature you in your faith. He wants you to be all that God created you to be, and you can through Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful Jesus moved toward the cross? We wouldn't be able to celebrate that. We would still be dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul says, if it wasn't for Jesus moving toward the cross. This morning, I'm not sure where you're at in your walk with Christ, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to lean into the gospel. Lean into Jesus. Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to grow you. Allow, you, allow him to encourage you in your walk with him. Read your Bible. Study your, the word of God. Grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, if you realize that that you've never made a profession of faith, you've never surrendered your life, you've never confessed your sin and turned from it this morning, you need to do that. The greatest need in your life is that today. And you're going to see this slide on the screen in just a moment. I don't know what God is speaking into your life about. I don't know what he's revealing, what sin it may be, what what decision you you need to make. But whatever it is, in just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage you to just text in so that we can have an opportunity to pray with you, to encourage you, to strengthen you in this decision. I want to encourage you to text to this number what God is laying upon your heart and the decision you need to make today on this Palm Sunday as we've talked about the cross and the difference it makes in our life. If you need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you text and say, I just want to believe in in Christ. If you want to rededicate your life because you've been walking at a guilty distance, today's the day to do that. Maybe you need to be baptized You want to begin that conversation and get that set up for the weeks ahead. You make that decision and you text us today. Maybe you just need prayer today. It's been a tough week. There's a lot of things happening out there. There's a lot of people losing their jobs. And so you need prayer. You need encouragement. You text. We'll pray. We'll encourage. We'll follow up with you this afternoon. Let me pray for us. So it's been so good to be with you this morning. I'm excited about what the Lord continues to do in the life of our church. I'm excited about what I'm hearing about how our body is ministering to the body. I've encouraged by that. I was sharing with one of our guys that's been attending uh, for the last several months, and I just I said that the other day. I mean, I'm so encouraged that our church family is loving and encouraging and ministering and serving one another as well as our community. Let's keep doing that. Let's continue to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the word that reminds us of the cross. We thank you for what this season means as we focus our attention on Easter and what that means for us as followers of Jesus, what that means for us who were once dead in our sins, but now we're alive to God because of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We bless you this morning. We pray that you would encourage us. We pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would develop us in our faith. God, help us to serve our neighbors. Help us to serve our family. Help us to serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. Father, we pray that you bless us as we give this week through our, <coughs> our regular tithes and offerings. We pray your blessing, your anointing, and God, may you give back to us as we faithfully give to you out of obedience, but more than that, out of a joy to serve and to give through a church that's helping to meet needs here as well as there. 
We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, God bless you this morning. It's been good to be with you, and I pray your blessings upon you. Hope you have a wonderful Sunday afternoon and a great week. We'll see you next Wednesday, 7 p.m. for our prayer and devotion, and then right back here next Sunday morning on Easter at 10 a.m. God bless you. We'll talk to you later.